Thank you. So I, I'm Tim, uh, still alcoholic and Al-Anon. Um, what I want to talk about, uh, just to get it out of the way, is some technical stuff on the concepts. So people usually have a fair amount of familiarity with the steps. They have some familiarity with the 12 traditions, the 12 concepts. Some people know a lot. Other people are like, the 12 what? Aren't there enough 12s already? <laughs> no, there are not enough 12s already. We need more 12s. Good things come in 12s. And I think Jerusalem, you know that more than some other places. Um, so steps, traditions, concepts. Uh, the steps help me not drink one day at a time and make a beginning on my relationships with others. The traditions help me and my friends function in a group and help establish how groups relate to each other and how AA relates to the outside world. There is then the question of getting stuff done in AA or Al-Anon. My, my, the, the, the concepts are slightly different in Al-Anon. They're slightly sim- simplified and the, the warranties are slightly different. But my experience with the concepts is mostly in AA. So I'm going to speak from an AA point of view rather than an Anon point of view on the concepts. But most of the ideas, most of the ideas work in Al-Anon as well. Now the question is, why do we even need a set of concepts? And I'll give you a very simple reason why. We have uh, a national office for AA in Great Britain where uh, they send out literature. So when people want to buy AA literature, they go to the website or they send in a form and someone has to send it out. This is more effective and efficient than having each group with its own separate special order form and its own separate special literature system. You have one literature system for the country. Um, AA has a relationship in Great Britain with all sorts of external organisations at a national level. So every year, uh, uh, AA, certainly for many years, I'm not sure if that's still the case through COVID, maybe they've started it again, but for years, AA would do a presentation at the Houses of Parliament, uh, according to the Knesset, Uh, do a presentation, uh, a number of members of Parliament would come along and uh, there would be a reception and there would be some alcoholics who would go along. Again, external organisations need a single point of contact. And there are dozens of other things that need to be decided at national level. So we, need, we want one Great Britain website. We don't want a website for every single group. Uh, groups can have a website too, many do, but a single point of contact. And our problem is we've got maybe, maybe 5,000 groups in Great Britain. I'm not sure on the exact statistics. If Evan were here, he'd tell me, <laughs> but he's not. So um, maybe we've got 5,000 groups and we've got a decision to make about what the office does. How on earth are we going to consult the whole fellowship to work out whether to send the person in the office out to buy donuts for everyone. Uh, you can't consult all of the groups every single time you make a decision. You've got to have a system in place for the fellowship to make, a de- to make decisions and to get things done. And that's what the concepts are. That's a, a method of how we're going to make decisions as a fellowship and how we're going to get things done. Now... You might say, well, why do we need a system? Can't we just do this informally and simply? For various reasons, in Great Britain, I've sponsored people who are some of the founder members or some of the 
longer term members of small new fellowships. I better not, this is taped, so I'm not going to say which ones, uh, but they've got themselves, these small fellowships, into the most terrific trouble. People think, well, either we do things informally and simply, or we use the concepts. The concept, having a service structure, having a conference, it all looks very expensive. It all looks very complicated. It looks like law. Who needs that? You have enough chukim mishpatim as it is without having all of these extra laws on top. You have enough laws. Why do we need more? The reason why is because if you don't have a system, there will be a system. And the system is whose ego is most persistent. That's the system. So you can't make a decision without a system. The question is only which system are we going to use? Are we going to use the system of personalities or are we going to use the system of principles? If you don't adopt the system of principles, the personalities run the show. And even with small fellowships, there are ways of applying the concepts. You might have five groups. You can apply this. The conference won't look like the AA conference, which is a great big kind of Barnum and Bailey thing. You can do it simply. You can do it easily. You don't even need to travel to do it necessarily. I think it helps to have people in the same room, but it's not vital in the same way. You can apply the concept simply because there are a set of principles, not a set of rules. And the difference between principles and rules, rules don't need any th thinking behind them. So when the rule says don't walk on the grass, you don't walk on the grass. You don't need to think about how to apply that. But with principles like be kind to people but don't do for them what they should do for themselves, it requires some thought to apply that. It's not a rule, it's a principle. And principles are so much more useful than rules because they can be adapted to any situation. They're a general framework for how to think about things. They're not a substitute for thinking. So the concepts are there to give AA a way of conducting its affairs without us hurting each other too much. And the basic idea with the concepts, there are two types of concept. There are concepts out of the 12, there are some which are about how power and authority and responsibility are delegated from the fellowship as a whole to the people doing the work. And then there are some other concepts which are about general principles for how we conduct our affairs when we're doing service. And there's one concept which covers a little bit of both. So this won't be in a strict order. It, I'll go back and forth between different concepts. So the first concept... Final responsibility and ultimate authority for AA World Services should always reside in the collective conscience of our whole fellowship. So who is in charge of AA? The people in charge of AA, it's not even the people, it's the conscience inside each AA member. Scattered throughout the country. So not even necessarily in the groups. As soon as you're an AA member and you have an activated conscience, that conscience in your mind, in your heart, is in charge of AA along with everyone else's. Now, that's a bit of a problem because I can't see inside your brain and access what your conscience is. Uh, even you have a room of people. How do you access what is going on inside each person? So we need to have, first of all, a system where we go from what is in the hearts and minds of all the people to, let's say we want to make a decision. We're going to write a new pamphlet for AA. 
how do you get from the hearts and the minds of the individuals to that decision? A single decision, which must be a yes or no, representing tens of thousands of people, most of whom don't know each other, most of whom will never meet each other. And there's a very interesting structure. People in AA come together into groups. And in each group, the conscience goes from the minds and the hearts through the words into the room. So language takes what is in people's hearts to being heard by other people. The general service representative hears all of those words and gathers a view as to what people in that group feel and what they think. And then this is the Great Britain structure. Different countries are structured in different ways. Those GSRs come together in the same physical space. And that's important, I think, for group conscience meetings. Because if you have to go for dinner with people afterwards, you have to be nice to them in the room. If you have to see them physically the next week and shake their hands and walk past them to get your cup of coffee, you have to be nice to people in a way that you... Ideally, you have to be nice to people. In a way, online, you can get away with a lot more, and people do. So very helpful, if possible, to have the group conscience meeting physical. So the GSRs come together, all the GSRs for London North, north of the Thames, come together and they inform six delegates as to what their groups think about the new pamphlet. There was a new pamphlet a few years ago on atheists, for atheists and agnostics. Everyone got very upset. They're not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. And, and by that, I mean the ones who believe in God. Um, uh, so uh, the delegates get to hear what all the GSRs report from the group consciences of the groups, which represent what's going on in the hearts and the minds of the people in the room. Then the delegates come together from the 16 regions in Great Britain to the conference in York. And you have conference delegates, you have board trustees, we'll come to the board in a minute, and you have some other <coughs> folks as well. And again, I won't explain the full conference system, but you have everyone in the room together and things are discussed in all sorts of different ways. Things are discussed in committees, the committees break down, people form other groups, there are region groups. And eventually, there is a proposal, a written proposal, and then there is a vote. And the conference, which represents the conscience of the whole fellowship, makes a decision. Yes, we want to write a pamphlet. And here are some basic ideas for how that's going to take place, or no, we don't want to. So, concept one, the final responsibility and ultimate authority resides in the collective conscience of the whole fellowship, the minds and the hearts. But the General Service Conference of AA has become, this is concept two, the General Service Conference of AA has become, for nearly every practical purpose, the active voice and the effective conscience of our whole society in its world affairs. To put it simply, the conference is the voice of the fellowship. Now, this idea of final responsibility and ultimate authority, uh, Bill W who drafted the concepts, didn't like to use the same word twice. So we have <laughs> defects of character and shortcomings. Uh, we have other terminology in step one where it's this, the different words mean the same thing. And it's like that here. Final and ultimate, there is no difference. But <laughs> responsibility and authority... Um, 
are very important words in the concepts. Uh, the responsibility is, it is my job to get something done and I'm accountable for the results. It is my job to get something done and I'm accountable for the results. Authority is the power to actually do that. So responsibility and authority go hand in hand. And we'll come to that a little bit later. Now, that final responsibility and ultimate authority, my conscience is guided in step 11 by the higher power on a good day. So really, where does final responsibility and ultimate authority reside? It resides with God speaking through my conscience, speaking through my mouth in the meeting, speaking through the GSR, speaking through the delegate, speaking through the vote at conference. God is behind the whole thing. And it's like responsibility and authority trickling down like a waterfall with lots of different steps from God on high down to the people actually doing the work. And what the concepts are are a system for channeling that responsibility and that authority in a systematic way down from God through us to the person that writes the actual pamphlet and arranges for the pamphlet to be published and sends the pamphlet out to people who bought it. Um, now, there are two basic parts in the service structure. There's the decision-making part of the service structure, which is the conference. And then there are the people that actually have to implement the conference decisions. And that's called in Great Britain the General Service Board. You'll hear about the Board of Trustees. Those are simply the members of the board. Um, so if it was a school, the conference is like the parent-teacher association and the board is like the senior faculty of people who actually have to implement what goes on in the school. Does that image, does that image work for people? Can you, does that ring a bell, the parent-teacher association? Okay, that, that works for people here. And the question is, where, where is the line drawn between those two? And concept six uh, reflects this. It says the conference recognises that the chief initiative and active responsibility in most world service matters should be exercised by the trustee members of the conference acting as the general service board. Now, I'm going to put that in simpler English. The conference makes the big decisions. And as I said yesterday, it's not in here. It's in, it's in I think, the long version of the concepts. Uh, that the conference is in charge of final decisions on large matters of general policy and finance. So conference in Great Britain every year gets to answer 12 questions and there are some general discussions as well, but essentially 12 questions. There might be hundreds of questions which could be discussed, but they pick 12 and it takes three days to make 12 decisions. And some of those decisions look like no-brainers until you hear people's views. Yeah. And yet, then you discover these are brainers. They're not no-brainers, they're brainers. They really require careful thought. So conference can't do much. Conference is there once a year. But work needs to be done every day. Each one of those decisions to be implemented requires a thousand small decisions to be made. So the question of how to write and produce and publish and sell a pamphlet requires a thousand decisions. <coughs> if those decisions had to be made by conference, you'd never get 
anything done. So this is why we have a board of trustees. Now, there is a, a difficulty here. So there's one cutoff is who deals with what. A conference deals with big decisions. The board implements those decisions. Uh, but there is a question here. Who's really in charge? Is conference really in charge? Or is the board really in charge? And the answer is yes and no, no and yes. And there is a delicate balance between the two. The board to operate in most countries has to have a corporation. In Great Britain, it's set up as a charity, a non-profit. In other countries, it's set up as a, a society or various types of legal structure in different places. But money is involved. You're hiring people. Employment law is involved. In the UK, all of the laws around non-profits are invoked. They have to comply with lots of legislation around non-profits. It's got to be run like a business. It can't be run by passing the pot at national level with some huge bucket where everyone just puts the money in and you take out the money when you need it. It needs to be more organised. And so the board is run in accordance with its own um, uh, so-called articles of association. Just like when you hear adverts on the radio here, it's, uh, you've got little rules you have to follow. You can't just buy the product. There's the, there's the, there are some rules here. You can't just run a corporation. You've got to follow some rules. So you've got uh, charters and bylaws, it says. So the board has to run itself in accordance with those. No one outside the board, the fellowship, cannot tell the board what to do legally. They're bound by the law. But... There is a tradition, and this is concept seven, there's a tradition of listening to the fellowship. There's also uh, the fact that the board to operate needs money. If the money doesn't come from the fellowship, it can't do anything. So to, to keep going, it needs to be doing what the fellowship wants it to do or people will stop sending them sending the money. And in Great Britain, on a regular basis, there is always a bunch of groups, a number of intergroups, maybe a region or two, where everyone is very angry no. and very cross. <laughs> I know here, everyone is very placid <laughs> and accepting, but in Great Britain, we're not. We get very... And we don't like authority figures either. We don't like the board telling us what to do, so we're going to not give them any money. So there's a delicate balance there. So in a legal sense, the board is in charge. In a moral sense, the conference is in charge, but there is a lever that can be pulled if necessary, which is the funds uh, can be stopped. The flow of funds can be stopped. But the board, the board members, there are you know, 15, 16 board members. There's a lot of work to do, however. They can't do all the work themselves. So just like the group delegates jobs to the GSR, they delegate jobs to the delegates. The delegates come together as a conference. The conference makes decisions. They delegate to the board. The board gets to do things in three ways. The board members, who are volunteers, they're not paid to do this. They have jobs sometimes. They're often retired, but not always. They have lives, we're told. <laughs> um, they are human beings, we're told. They have, we're, they're doing this for fun and for free. And it's an incredibly tough job. 
I've sponsored people who are on the board and I, 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 I no longer want to be on the board, but there are people who are temper, temperamentally suited to it. I don't think I'm one of them right now. But they're not there the whole time. So they get to do three things, and this is concept eight. They get to do three things. Some things they do themselves. So the honorary treasurer will draw up a financial report which goes out to the fellowship on the money that has come in, the money that has gone out, what it's been spent on. And, and just one point, responsibility and accountability and authority go together. The word accountability is not in the concepts. It just talks about responsibility and authority going together. But accountability is part of responsibility. Responsibility, as I say, uh, I think of it as um, the obligation to get stuff done accountability is having to report back on how you did it and listen to feedback on how you did it. Uh, and authority is, is the ability to get things done. Um, so the board, they do some things themselves, but they delegate. And they delegate in two directions. Uh, the first direction they delegate in is to the office where there are paid employees and they are there the whole time uh, and the office then delegates there are certain things they cannot do themselves they don't publish the literature they don't have their own printing press that is delegated to an outside body there are lawyers there are accountants there are other professionals there are advertising consultants there are externals to whom we delegate tasks. But then there is internal delegation to subcommittees. And for many years, I was on a subcommittee for Armed Services Liaison. Uh, so liaison between AA and the Armed Services and veterans organisations and health uh, organisations that help veterans, mental health organisations in particular. So the board member was in charge of that subcommittee, but we did the work. So there is delegation all the way down from God to the people, as I did, I designed a poster for soldiers with PTSD uh, saying... If you are alco alcoholic as well, there are people in AA that might understand your history, your situation. And if you contact us, we'll put you in touch with other soldiers and other veterans who can help you tackle your alcoholism, but who also understand these other questions. So that's the chain. Now, the other concepts are uh, principles for how that authority, that responsibility, that accountability gets delegated. And I'll just do these in the order they are in here. So concept three, uh, and I won't read it out because it's wordy. I'm just going to put it in very simple language, as simple as I can. Concept three is... When you give someone a job to do, you tell them clearly what the results are that you want and maybe a little bit about how to do it, but you let them get on with it. You don't peer over their shoulder, giving them tiny little orders and commands every five minutes. You let them decide how best to do it. Um, concept four is the idea that, and there's a lot more that could be said about each of these concepts. I can do an hour on each concept if I have to. Um, concept four is when you delegate to people, 
You're not just giving them orders, you include them in the decision. And we're familiar with this in the group. So when you have in a group a GSR, a secretary and a treasurer, they're a bit like the board of trustees who actually have to do the work. When you have a group conscience meeting, you don't send them out of the room. They are in the room as part of the decision. The people that do the work are part of the decision. So it's not like a military command structure. It's a very different idea. Right of participation. Um, concept five has got two elements. The first one establishes that if you're in the minority, we want to hear what you have to say. And if you've got a very serious complaint about how you've been treated, we want to hear about that as well. And there are ways of dealing with that. Concept nine is about leadership. And Bill W's essay on leadership is very good. And I'm pretty sure it's the essay which also covers how you deal with, how you deal with destructive critics. I think that's in concept nine as well. So when people criticise you and they're not having the best day and all sorts of other psychological problems get built into their criticism. And it's a very useful piece of advice. He says, listen carefully to what they say. Pick out the pieces of substance that you can work with, which are real and genuine, and then ignore the rest. Thank them and ignore the rest. Don't argue. Just thank them. But leadership, sometimes people say that there are no leaders in AA. And I, I don't think that's what it says. It literally does say good service leadership at all levels is we need it to be safe. We need it to function. But what leadership means is setting such a good example, everyone else wants to help you and follow you. It means thinking way ahead of the immediate decision to all of the long-term consequences of decisions. And some leaders are the visionaries who have amazing ideas. Other leaders are the cautious people who spot all of the dangers a hundred miles earlier than anyone else. I'm the second sort. Uh, so you're not in charge, but you're able to bring people together to get things done. Um, concept 10 talks about responsibility going with authority. Um, if you're responsible to get things done but you have no power you can't get things done if you're not given the funds to do it you can't get things done I remember one of the uh, difficulties I had on the subcommittee was with this poster where I was charged with the task of designing the poster uh, and then the poster had to go to the board to be approved. So the responsibility was mine, but the board was holding ultimate authority over the poster, but they weren't involved in the design, they didn't understand the issues, they didn't understand lots of the legal aspects of how you produce a poster like that with pictures from the army. And we solved it, and we solved it by recognising that the people who were in our committee who were in charge of the poster had to be given more freedom, more power to actually get the job done. Uh, authority and responsibility had to go together. Um, concept 11 I've spoken about a little bit already. So the trustees are not on their own. They've got uh, committees, they've got employees and directors and external consultants. But this, the, the how of Concept 11, it says basically you've got to be super clear 
on what you want people to do. You've got to give them the resources. You've got to give them the training. You've got to give them the, 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 the support. And I believe that lots of problems in groups with treasurers are... It, it's not the easiest job to be a treasurer. And people are just given the job often with no handover, no hand-holding, no help whatsoever. The group doesn't express any expectations about what the job involves or what it should look like. Or, and people get very frightened. And I got frightened doing it, and I didn't know who to ask, and all sorts of problems flow from that. Concept 11, help people when they're given a job. Make sure they get all the assistance and information they need. And then concept 12, uh, some ideas you could talk about for days. Uh, conference should never become the seat of perilous wealth or power. Um, the delegates can only serve for a number of years and then they're just replaced automatically. So you can't sit there forever. Conference, a third of conference is people who've never been there before, which is very helpful because they see things that the people who've been there for three years don't see. Uh, sufficient operating funds and reserve be its prudent financial principle. So you have enough money and a little bit more, but no more than that. That it never place its members in a position of unqualified authority over others. So there is no one who can, there is no individual in charge. It really is the fellowship that's in charge that it reach all important decisions by discussion, vote, and whenever possible by substantial unanimity. Uh, for practical purposes, two-thirds has to be enough. But the ideal is to talk until you found a way to accommodate as many people's views as possible, which means compromise. And in concept nine, Bill W., says that most progress is made through a series of unsatisfactory compromises, which no one is happy with. But it's, it's better than before, and it's going in the right direction. Uh, that conferences' actions never be personally punitive, nor an incitement to public controversy. So when the treasurer runs away with the money. That's when, not if. When the treasurer runs away with the money, you want to handle it, maybe, in a way that enables the treasurer to come back, to stay in the fellowship and come back and set things right. And maybe, is there any point in going to the police? Will that really help you get the money back? Probably not. Is that who is that going to help is a really helpful question. Um, that it never perform acts of government and that like the society it serves, it will always remain democratic in thought and action. And that's a principle, not a rule. And people understand that differently. Um, I'm going to stop there. That's me on the concept. Amen. <laughs> Madame? I have a question. Uh, when, voting, when voting in new people into service positions, uh, is the two-thirds rule, uh, the two-thirds majority idea also used, or like for example, say that you have elections for um, a new secretary. Um, do you need a majority there, or a one vote, if, it's a, if the vote goes very close, what happens then? Majority rule, I think, is the practical one. Popes are elected with two-thirds plus one. That's why they lock them up until they choose someone. And if they don't choose someone, they stop feeding them until they choose someone. Um, that's been true for, I think, 900 years. Um, but simple majority is usually how it's done, unless the group decides they want to do it differently. And then they can, I guess. A group can do that. Yeah. Um, the Al-Anon ServiceNet 
panel, I just read it the other day, um, actually suggests that if there is not a two-thirds majority for uh, electing for a position, that uh, you put the names into a, and, and into a hat and just blindly draw one of the throw dice. Yeah. Yeah. All those work. Flip coins. Drop hot wax into water and see what shapes it makes. That's also as good. Well. But, but just before the next question, there's, there's more that can be said on that. London Region North, my experience, operates very well as far as regions go. And when there is a vacancy, first of all, you put the information out there that there is a vacancy and you make it very clear what the procedure is. What's the job? What does it involve? What do we need you to have by way of experience? And then you see how many candidates there are. Usually there's one candidate if you're lucky. Occasionally there are two candidates. Sometimes there will be seven. If you've got seven candidates, uh, there is something called the third legacy procedure. It's very complex. It takes a long time to work through. I've seen it happen at conference. You gradually whittle down. You vote again and again and again, and the weakest link is out until you're down to two. When you're down to two, then if one person gets two-thirds, then they get the job. If no one gets two-thirds, let's say it's 60-40, that's when it goes to the hat. So the person who gets 40% obviously has enough competence to get 40% of the vote. They're probably good enough. Let's give it a go. Um, but what they used to do in London Region North uh, uh, for a role, let's say there was one candidate and uh, the person would be asked some questions in the session, so in... Uh, and they knew this was going to happen. And people would ask some very difficult questions. What experience do you have of the concept? How would you handle this situation? How would you handle that situation? And you listen to them. The person is sent out of the room. And then you're given a piece of paper. And on the piece of paper, you just write the letter Y for yes, the letter N for no. Fold it. Put it in a basket. Someone counts. And if they get two-thirds, they're in. And if they don't, you leave the post vacant. Mm. And the reason why... Uh, most of the people that will go for a post <coughs> at Region will be known to a few people in the room. Occasionally, they're known to everyone in the room. Most often they're known only to a few. But those people that do know them, know them well and have experience of them. So if there are enough no's, and sometimes you get a sense of a person, that the so-called energy, uh, sometimes the way they answer questions gives you a lot of information very quickly. Let's say... Uh, it's 60-40. They only get 60%. 40% saying no to an election is a lot. And there's going to be a reason behind each one. You don't need to know what the reason is. It, we don't need to have a big public discussion about why Bobby or Susie is not suitable for this role. I have a follow-up question. This policy that you're discussing of how to vote for someone, would this be written into the service manual? Or is this something that's just a, a custom that this particular AA body has? Okay, a really helpful thing that I've found for AA bodies, whether it's a group, an intergroup, a region, an area, a district, is to keep two sorts of records. The first type of record is the minutes of each meeting. And those uh, have limited significance in time. Uh, in the Harry Potter films, <laughs> when your mother is very angry with you, 
and you're at Hogwarts at the dinner table, they will send... Uh, yes, an owl will come in and drop a little letter called a howler. And the howler is this little letter. It opens up and you hear your mother's voice screaming out from inside the letter. And once the letter is done conveying the complaint from your mother, it, I think it burns up or and it's gone. A minute's like that. They're red and then they're gone. Which is why if there's a really important piece of information, like a policy, how is this region going to handle elections? You, it's in the minutes, but it goes into a separate document, which is this is how this region handles these following situations. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel each time. And some really helpful decisions to make are how do we do elections? What majority do we need for big decisions? What majority do we need for ordinary administrative decisions? Um, how do we count who is eligible to vote? Uh, do we count abstentions? What does abstention mean? Those discussions, if they don't get written down, you waste 100 hours every two years because no one remembers what was agreed last time. So if any decision is made which has lasting significance, put it in a separate document, and every time the minutes go out to all of the members, the procedures document goes out as well, so that everyone remains up to date on how things are done, and it gets rid of 80% of the arguments. I have a follow-up question with regard to abstentions. Um, how have you both experienced um, abstentions within the issue of majority vote? No experience. Okay. So, let's say you've got 20 people in the room and you want a two-thirds majority. Let's say you have a vote and four people are in favour and two people are against and 14 abstain. That's a two-thirds majority of the people that uh, are voting there. But it's not, a, it's so four out of six is two-thirds, but four out of 20 is one-fifth and you end up making big changes when only a really a minority of the people in the room uh, are voting in favour of something. It's a disaster, absolute disaster. And now this is a controversial matter on which people disagree, which is fine. But my personal view of what is most sane, an abstention is not a vote that you cast. It's literally the non-casting of a vote. You can't, sometimes they'll have a vote. They'll say, who is in favour? Yes. Who is against? No. Who abstains? And you're counting three things. You shouldn't count abstentions because they're not a vote. They're a refusal to vote. And so what you do when you've got a vote, you say, well, how many people are in the room and eligible to vote? And you need two thirds of that amount. So in this decision uh, with 20 people in the room, if four people are four, two are against, you calculate there are 14 abstentions. Four out of 20 is not two-thirds. It doesn't go through. But there's, there's a lot more on abstentions. Uh, discussion, vote, and substantial unanimity. Very occasionally, there is a really solid reason why someone should abstain Basically, if they are involved personally in the subject matter of the decision or there is a conflict of interest, then it's right to abstain. But that is very rare. Normally what happens when there's an abstention, uh, someone is either undecided or they feel too new to make a decision. Undecided or too new to make a decision. Uh, the sane approach I've seen work very well is to ask them, 
If you're undecided, why? If you don't know, how can we help you know? What information can we give you to help you make a decision? Because you've been given the task of, you've got this service assignment to be part of this body. How can we help you be ready for that? And then very often you do that work and then the vote happens the next time. So often when there's a lot of abstention going on, it's because the decision is not ready to be made. So you want to really boil it down to 90, 95% of the people in the room are yes or no. And once you're there, there are always going to be people that say, I just don't want to talk about this. I don't want to think about this. Um, uh, but then you've got a very simple situation, two thirds majority, and you don't get decisions made by a small minority then. Can I have a follow up to, to the abstention thing? And that is my personal responsibility as uh, participating in the service structure, whether it's in the business meeting of the group, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes, and you guys have alluded to this in, in your talk so far, um, the group is trying to decide something that I don't think is significant and I really don't care. And so those are times when I will abstain because the truth is that it doesn't matter to me what the outcome is. I don't care if they order Earl Grey tea or orange jasmine, you know? And so, um, and so. You should. You should. You should. What's wrong with you? <laughs> so, um, so what, 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 what have you done when you've been in those kinds of situations? Um, I just figured flip a coin and vote because it doesn't matter to me. I mean, it's just very practical. We'll get it done. Yeah. I think making a decision sometimes is a very good idea. Let's help this done. Yeah. I have another question. So let's say that I come from a small country. Let's call it Remulac. <laughs> might actually be a small town in France, but okay. I'm from Remulac and, in, and, and it's a small service structure for mm -hmm. the whole country because it's a small population. Um, they have a custom, we have a custom at Remulac that the, the, there's a chairperson of the central committee and then there's a vice chairperson. So the vice chair, when the, when the chairperson, they're, two-year term has expired, the vice chairperson has automatically moved up into the chairperson. Mm -hmm. And then there was the question arose, the question arose, should they be voted in? This is a custom, it's not written down anywhere, it just happened once and so then it happened again and it keeps happening. And um, is there... Let is the group decide, let the group decide. Decide whether or not... Let the group decide. Decide what? How they're going to do it. Mm -hmm. It's their group. Every time is Q and A time. Hi, Sam and Lisa. Um, so I actually have a question, because I, I think I live in the same small country. Um, uh, the meetings, in-person meetings so far that, that we have for the specific fellowships tend to be, I guess, what would be called newcomer meetings, meaning that uh, the majority, let's say, of the people who are attending have either not done step work or perhaps are you know, on step one for six to eight years. I'm <laughs> yes, I'm calling you up. I'm scared. And so when I'm hearing you talk about the concepts, the things that are coming to my mind is how important it is to at the same time take responsibility and accountability, something that I work on a lot. But there's also like this feeling of like we don't, do not govern, but a lot of us who maybe have like done the steps, uh, are sponsoring, have been shared before, have been served positions before, it tends to just be the two or three of us kind of always doing the sort of service positions. And so I'm wondering, like, I guess, how do we encourage people to do service positions 
or can we just uh, like like just have a group conscience to say like let's have a person who may only have done you know is on step two or step three be the chair or be a co-chair and like support or help them am i making sense it's like you know i don't want to be that 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 one voice not because i'm not willing to do service but i, I know that, that that's going to be one the, the common the common welfare comes first, and right. part of the common welfare is rotating leadership. And even though there are three of us who do everything and have been for 10 years, it's not for the common welfare. So I may need to not run, and perhaps some position might not get filled. You know, like my group sometimes does not have a GSR. You know, because, however, it, it's for the good of everybody, and if a newer person gets the job, they'll learn a lot of things fast. Um, I mean, the early fellowship, you know, what did they know they were doing, you know? They made a billion mistakes and stayed sober. Mm -hmm. So part, making mistakes and being an idiot is part of the deal. It's part of recovery. So then as a follow-up, then it sounds like, like we had a group conscience, I think, at some point, where we said, you know, for a person to be chair, it was really important for people that the person who was chair, when I say chair, I'm not sure they might call it something different at other meetings. So Czar. Yeah, yeah. 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 Whatever. But it sounds like, like what you're saying, like it's not really common welfare because it it ends up being where everyone is like, oh no, that person should do it because what do I know? Versus like, well, let's do co-chair. You've got the job you're going to learn. So maybe to have have a revisit on that group. Conference. Yeah, because otherwise, it's the same. This is always the same group does everything. And you have to let awkward, foolish, out-of-balance new people be awkward, foolish, and out-of-balance. I agree. Yeah. I, I think if you've got a room you. and you've got some alcoholics or some anons or some theses or some thoses <laughs> in the room and you talk for an hour and go home, you've got a good... Okay, you, you've got a good meeting... All of those very important group decisions, I don't think are nearly as important as people think they are. And my personal view is to keep the group as simple as possible, to have as few procedures as possible, to try to deal with as much as possible, just instinctively, in the moment, let's just get it done. Um, life is so much easier then. So I don't have to figure out a scheme for how to handle... I, you see, that, that looking for rules and systems and algorithms, it's my way of avoiding relying on God in the moment. I want a solid enough system so that I never have to call God. So that I can run things. Um, and I've relaxed. A, I, I spoke at a meeting when I was about eight years sober and someone shared back from the floor and, and said, it's so good to see you. I've known you for eight years. You're not nearly as uptight as you used to be. Yes. It's a high compliment. The slow work of God. Was yeah. that, that Teo de Chardin, that one? The slow work of God. The Teo de Chardin. Yeah, very good. Yeah. The question at the back. Yeah. For the tape, we're just waiting for a translation of a question. So, so in, our, in, in our fellowship here, uh, uh, in the intergroup level, they had a decision. 
that you can only do a service position if you finish steps five with a sponsor. And we got to a position, we got to a place where a lot of positions are just vacant or empty because yes, there's it, not enough people. It might be a dumb rule. <laughs> yeah, so, so the question for the, for the tape was, uh, in an intergroup in a galaxy far, far away, they had a rule where you had to have done a certain number of steps to do the roles, but then there weren't enough people who'd done the steps to do the roles. What do you do? This is the problem with being over-organized. Um, and in Tradition 9... Uh, it doesn't say we're not organized at all. A good principle is we are organized as much as necessary, but as little as possible. As much as necessary, but as little as possible. So those two ideas are pulling in different directions. In, in where I go to meetings, a, a lot of service positions, the requirement would be six months of sobriety, or a year of sobriety, and that would be uh, uh, that. That was the only requirement. And some people were better than others in in uh, doing these jobs. But when you got a job like that, you learned a lot. The first time I was secretary of a meeting, I was six months sober. Yeah, uh, and just because someone and hadn't done anything other than not drink. Yeah. Scars. How many scars do they have? <laughs> or tattoos. Tattoos is the other thing. We should break for lunch. Yes. Just one tiny little point on that. Just because someone's done the steps and has been around since the early 60s doesn't mean that they're suitable for the role. Sometimes you've got new people who are very level-headed and very competent and... Sometimes the craziest person in the room is the person that's been there for the longest. I'm not going to take that person. <laughs> what are the rules for lunch? Do we have rules for lunch? How long are we breaking for lunch? Hour and a half for lunch. 